Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You can be seated. I'm thankful you're here and thankful for the word of the Lord that I believe he wants to speak to you this morning and encourage you as we're in this season of Thanksgiving. We also welcome everyone tuning in live watching via Facebook or YouTube. We're happy you're here as well, that you're tuning in this morning. But last week we talked about in our talks on vision, we've really been now a fourth week talking about the harvest, talking about vision. Last week we focus in on that vision gives pain purpose. Anybody thankful again that when you have vision, it gives the wilderness of your life, it gives the pain in your life, it gives it purpose because without purpose, without hope, we really don't have anything. Because when you have hope, you can hurt during hope. See, when you have hope, you can grieve, you can process, you can even question. It's a safe place to do that. But absent of hope, it gets pretty dangerous. But when you have hope, it is an anchor for your soul where you're in the safety net of God to work and move as you're in the process of that. But this morning, I want to put this on your radar and, and put this thought in your head. And it's simply this as we continue to talk on vision. It's this, it's what you see every day is not always everything that is there. What's really there and what you see many times can be two different things. Anybody ever been there before that maybe you think you're seeing the full picture, but you're really not seeing everything that's there. I have a cheesy example. Maybe you've seen this before, but Sean, if you would put this up, uh, multi-million dollar business, you know it is FedEx, uh, but I was looking into this and and this really just shows uh, a story on perspective. This logo was picked out in 1994. And when they were picking it out, prior to them changing their name to FedEx, their company was known as Federal Express. But because of the population, everyone who used FedEx, uh, what they began to label Federal Express as is FedEx. So that is what began to, to get out there and what everyone began saying. So by popular demand, they decided to change their name to FedEx, therefore putting them in a place we have to pick out a new logo, a new brand, a new image. And so the CEO of FedEx at the time, he walks into the board meeting, the story is pretty cool. And there was about 50 logos there that they had to uh, decide that this is what we want to put on all our airplanes, all of our trucks. This is what we want you know, to be known as. Now what first caught his eye and I hope everyone's seen it by now, so this is popular. If not, you need to really open your eyes. But what really caught his eye with this logo is that if you look closely in between the E and the X, you're gonna see an arrow really hidden in plain sight. There's an arrow between the E and the X. If you, we can camp here a minute, there's usually maybe a couple of us that might need a few minutes to see it. We'll pray for your vision. But what's neat, and I remember the first time I saw it, and you gotta be careful because now those of you who are finally seeing it, when you leave today and you pass a FedEx truck, you're gonna yell at your co-pilot, arrow. Um, because when you come to the revelation, there's an arrow between the E and the X, that's all you really see. It really ruins you on the logo because all you see is the arrow. But what simple, cheesy point I wanna bring across to you this morning is something you look at every day that's in plain sight. Not everything can be visible. You have to sometimes look a little closer to get the fullness of what's in front of you or to really see what is 
reality. You know, I was thinking about as we've been looking at the Apostle Paul, and he was a man of great vision. He was a man when he encountered the living God, encountered Jesus, it says he fell off of his horse. He was in a vision. And when he encountered Jesus, he said the thing, Lord, what would you have me do? That was his response. And now he says, as you look through the book of Acts, he says that he was faithful to the heavenly vision. And that's our heart through these collection of talks is that we wanna be faithful to the heavenly vision that God has put within us, faithful to the call of God because we serve a faithful God who is faithful to us in every season of our lives. I was thinking about Paul and if I were to sit down and interview Paul, one of the questions I would have is, Paul, what, what was it that was in you that made you resilient? What was it that was in you that made you not give up? Because when you read the Apostle Paul's, Apostle Paul's account of the trials, of the tribulations he went through, it makes what you and I deal with on a daily basis seem pretty petty. Anybody ever feel like that? You, your, your perspective begins to change on your situation when you see what Paul had to go through. You read through the book of Acts in the New Testament, you'll see many times he was flogged 39 times, twice, scripture records. You'll see uh, a time where there was uh, an assassination set out for his life, so he had to be let out of the city over the wall, down in a basket, scripture speaks of that. Uh, You'll see many times he, I mean, this is amazing that he was stoned and left for dead, but got up and walked. So you see there was something within him that was able to endure near-death experiences and get up and keep going. There's also an amazing story you can read in Acts 28 is that he was getting a a, a fire together, a campfire he was, the scripture talks about. And as he was getting the fire together, um, a viper or a snake uh, jumped up out of the fire and bit his arm. It was literally hanging there. And it says that everyone just kind of watched. You know, no one jumped in to help Paul. Paul was just left there with a snake hanging from his arm that jumped out of the fire. Now here's the amazing truth, and really we could preach on this too. But it says, as the, the snake was hanging on his arm, he shook the snake back into the fire from that which it came from. And I think there's a big truth there and a big principle there, is that when the enemy... When you start wanting to do something for God, start getting warm, start burning up, start getting vision for God, he wants to bring distraction, situation into your life to bite you and keep you distracted. But Paul had the faith to shake that which was trying to deter him in that moment back into the very place that it came from. Now there's a great truth there that when we start taking steps for God, the enemy begins to put a bullseye on you because you become a threat. And so again, we see Paul If I were to sit down and ask him, what was it, what faith did you have to be able to endure these kind of situations? Well, we really see his response, and we see this question even through scripture of of people asking Paul, what is it that you have that you don't give up, that you keep going? And this is the passage of scripture I want to camp in this morning, but it's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And if you're taking notes, the title of the message this morning is to fix my gaze, fix my gaze. And we're going to see that this was Paul's prayer, that if you're going to accomplish anything for God, if you're going to stay faithful, if you're going to stay consistent, your gaze, your focus has to be fixed in this life, has to be fixed on Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16. It says this, it says, this is why we never give up. So he's saying, here is the answer to your question. This is why we don't give up. 
It says, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Verse 17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Now, I think this is amazing when you put it in context that of all the people saying that my troubles, my present troubles are small. Now, what we just talked about, you would look at Paul's life and say, Paul, your troubles are not small at all. I can't believe what you have to deal with and go through, that there is a passion in you that when you feel you get beat down, you get up, you keep preaching, you keep advancing the gospel, that he had something within him that had a right perspective in his life. And and heavenly perspective simply is this, and, and scripture teaches us this, is that when you have heavenly perspective, it keeps the situations, it keeps the trials, it keeps the blessings, it keeps everything you experience in life through a right lens, a right perspective, that it's in order. Because God blesses things when it's in order. So when you have the right perspective, you see God put the right order in your life. And so Paul had really the right order and the right outlook on life. So he says this, my my present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Go back to verse 16, because this is a truth here. And this is what I pray you experience in your life when you go through trial, temptation, when you go through tough seasons. He says, this is why I don't give up. I'm aware that my physical body, I'm aware that my physical situation is like this, but because my spirit is being renewed each and every day, I'm able to have the right perspective and not let the trial beat me down, not let the temptation keep me down. I'm able to walk through anything because the spirit of God is within me because I'm being renewed each and every day. Are you catching the picture here that this is why Paul did not give up because he was being renewed? And not only that, verse 17 again says, his, the perspective on his troubles, that he had, again, this heavenly vision. He had a heavenly perspective of time. We've talked about that, scripture. And Psalm says, to number my days. That we have to have this heavenly perspective of time. So he understood that the 60, 70, if he's blessed, you and I are blessed, 80 years on this earth, is that it pales in comparison to the thousands, tens of thousands of years we'll spend with our heavenly father. So we had this heavenly perspective of time that you can do whatever you want to me, but I have the real understanding of what reality, of what time is for those who are in Jesus Christ. One commentary said this in the perspective of of time. It said, we shouldn't call the next life the afterlife. This should be the pre-life so that real life starts in the next. So when you think of it that way, the, the afterlife, the next life, we should be so preparing now for what our next, as we pass into grace, as we pass into eternity, that we are preparing for that time in the here and for the, in the now. And so Paul knew that. Look what verse 17 says. It says, as Paul continues to go on, he says, yet they produce, so he's talking about the trials, he's talking about the temptation, he's talking about the, the tough times in life, that we go through, yet these times they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Here's the truth I want you to get in your spirit. If you're in Christ, your trial will not last forever, but what the trial does in you, you'll keep that glory that was produced in you from the trial. So the trial isn't gonna last forever, but what is happening on the inside of you that's gonna stick with you the rest of your life and even go with you into eternity. Think about that. That trial, 
hard times, tribulation, just speaking truth, you read the book of Job, you really study into this, you'll see that many times it's the vehicle God uses in our lives to bring change, to bring transformation. It puts this dependency on God that really you don't experience in blessing. When you're walking through something tough, it brings you to this place to your knees of God, I need you. I'm crying out to you. Where are you in my life? And it begins to really put a sober reality that life is short, that I'm not invincible, that health problems can happen, that relational problems can happen. And I'm a firm believer that you always prepare for the trial before it ever comes. And so I pray in this message and messages like these is that there is preparation taking place before you walk through a tough season. I've said it before, you're either going into a trial, you're in the middle of one, or you're coming out of one. That's just life. But see, what we have as followers of Christ is that we have the right perspective to walk through them and that we don't allow, we have this heavenly perspective and we don't allow it to keep us down, but we understand that Christ is with us as we walk through it. Verse 18, as it goes on, it says this. It says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. And here's, here's the practicality but rather. So don't look at the troubles that you see right in front of you, what's tangible in front of you. I need you to begin to change your perspective here, Paul is saying. But he says, rather we fix our gaze. Say, fix your gaze. Fix your gaze. It says, fix your gaze on things that cannot be seen. How many of you know so many things happen in the intangible world, the spiritual world that you and I aren't even aware of? So he's saying, you need to begin to fix your gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You know, I have this conviction and that I check myself and I pray you do as well, but you check in with your gaze, you check in with your fix, and you need to ask yourself, is my gaze broken? Is my fix broken this morning? And when you ask that question, is, is my gaze fixed? It's easy to kind of look at it this way. If, and I was thinking about this, uh, boom, Generation Boomers hang in with me for a minute, but if you're on Instagram, you'll see that they changed uh, some of their features. They did some studies and they did a, uh, uh, decided to make this change of where you can't see every, when you look on someone's post, you can't see how many people like a post anymore. Now they did a lot of study and, and mental health reasons for uh, teenagers and things that it puts this comparison, this competition where I'm, I'm doing this for likes. And so Instagram changed up a lot of their policy to really fix something that was causing some bad outcomes. And so when you think about how do I fix my gaze, well, what is, where is your gaze at? Where's your motives at? Where's your attitude at? Where, why, what's the motive behind what you're doing? Is my gaze broken? And in order to fix it, I have to fix my gaze on Christ. And when I fix my gaze on the goodness of God, you watch how things begin to change. You watch the salvaic healing that begins to come into your life. You watch how the goodness of God can wash over your insecurities, can wash over an ugly attitude, can wash over what's coming out of your mouth. I'm telling you, there's the principle of fixing your gaze. When you get your eyes off of dollars, off of, of how many square feet I have, off of followers and likes, the things that the world says, this is what you have to focus on. And when you put it on Christ, when you put it on the goodness of God, that's where you th see things begin to change. Someone said this, he said, reality is mostly made up of what you cannot see. 
Reality is made up of mostly of what you cannot see. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, and Paul is echoing this, and he, this is a teaching on money and possessions, how we're to, 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 what place it's supposed to have in our life. Look what it says. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth. How many of you do we need to be reminded of that as we go into Christmas season? That we're not storing treasures up here on earth. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then he gives this powerful principle. Wherever your treasure is, is gonna be the, the determining factor of where your heart is. So wherever you're putting your treasure is a great indicator of that is the path your heart is following. That's the path, that's where your gaze is at. There's a pretty neat story I wanna share with you and it uh, was, uh, NASA went on this endeavor to get a satellite in the sky. In 1991, the Hubble Space Telescope, you've probably heard of it or you've seen, maybe some of you in here remember when this took place in the space race but in 1991, they went on this endeavor to get a satellite in the sky, the Hubble Space Telescope. As I was looking into this, the project all in all in 1991 dollars added up to $1.5 billion to get this satellite in space. In today dollars, it would equal $2.7 billion. And so they wanted to get a satellite in the sky and it was for this purpose, if you know your science, my scientist or Ms. Kathy, you might have to check me on some of these, so have a little grace with me. But I remember as I was uh, studying this is that the reason when you take a telescope and you look into the heavens or you look into the stars is that it's as though you're looking through a dirty lens because of the gases that are in our atmosphere. So if you wanna get a clear, precise, constant picture, it's best to get it out of our atmosphere and into to space. And that was the purpose of, of this Hubble Space Project. So we wanna see what's out there and we want the best picture so that we can catch what does our galaxy look like? What does the Milky Way look like? What's beyond the Milky Way? And so in 1991, they launched this. Endeavor took it in the, into the air, and it, went, it's, it sat 366 miles um, above planet Earth, and it would orbit once every 96 minutes that this Hubble spacecraft would orbit around the Earth. Now they were excited as they got everything in place and got everything in motion, and so they were ready to fire it up and to get a picture of what our galaxy looked like. Well, to their disappointment, if, if you put the picture up, Sean, this was the first picture that they got back. It looks like a blurry blob. <laughs> and when they got this picture back, they were questioning what in the world, what, that is not the outcome we were expecting. And so they go back and they check all of their math and they had found an error that they had made. Again, this is a $1.5 billion project, so you don't need to be making these kind of errors. But they had put the wrong lens inside of, of, the, of the satellite. And that was the outcome of why they got. So they go back and they do the math and in order to fix this problem, it would take two years to launch another mission to fix this lens. So what they did, they found and located the problem and they took a lens and they inverted it and they said, okay, if we put, it, put a nearsighted lens when it should have been farsighted, we're gonna invert it and we're gonna take another lens and simply put it over it so that we can get the picture that we wanted. And so in 1993, they launched this mission, they get this lens and uh, look at the picture they got when they fired it back up. Is it was much clearer, it was much precise. Um, and when I was 
when I came across this story, it, it spoke something to me because it parallels. Many times when we're going through trials, when we're looking at the situation of life, it's not a lot of the times it's not the trial, the situation. It's you and I have a lens problem. The perspective that we're seeing it through, is it marred, is it muddy, is it not clear that we're just seeing everything not as though it is. One psychologist said this, he said, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. So what we perceive life as, what we go through, how we view situations many times is how we perceive what reality is when reality is looking back at us and saying, that's not how it is. See, with this Hubble spacecraft, it wasn't the Milky Way's fault, it wasn't space's fault that it got us that picture, it was the lens issue. And so what I'm trying to get across to us this morning, if we're gonna have heavenly vision, if we're gonna walk in faith, if we're gonna have the right perspective, you gotta clean your lens and you gotta make sure that we're being made into the image and likeness of Christ because that's gonna give us the best outcome and the best picture when we see through the eyes of faith. I found this interesting as well. If you look at any type of lion species, any African lion species, you'll see that underneath their eyes are a white line. You can Google it and you can look it up. But the reason those white lines are there, uh, scientists will tell us that lions have six times better vision than human beings. And the reason those white lines are there is because it is to absorb as much light as possible. Where it's really the opposite of an athlete who puts black tape under their eyes, it's to keep light out. But when I found this uh, study and the statistic, it woke something up in me because I want to have white lines under my eyes and under my heart, where my heart's being dilated, where I'm seeing everything through a heavenly vision, where my vision, my lens is not blurred, it is not marred, Holy Spirit come, and cleanse my lens. Let me see everything through the perspective of Jesus Christ. Look what scripture says about trials, we know this. James 1, two through four says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, who's got a trouble coming your way? Maybe you're in one. Here's what it says to do, it says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Again, right perspective. Our flesh never sees a trial tribulation situation as an opportunity. It's usually an obligation that we feel we have to just deal with and get over. But it says an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, it says, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, what's gonna happen? You're gonna be perfect, you're gonna be mature, you're gonna be complete, needing nothing. Again, I wanna to submit to you this morning, is the trial, the tribulation, the situation in your life a vehicle God is using to bring change, to get you focused, to get your gaze off of the things of this world and get your gaze back up on him, to get your gaze focused in on him. And again, it's a blanket statement. I'm not saying every suffering, there is, is process and detail and everything that goes into it. But when we see the outlook of scripture, it's to get us to always turn to him in the middle of trial and in the middle of tribulation. Don't turn away, don't run from him, run to him and get his heavenly perspective on, on how we grow through them. I wanna leave you with this and then there's a short video I want us to watch that is really gonna speak of having the heavenly vision. As you know the story in Egypt when God's people Israel was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. 
And God's vehicle of provision was manna from heaven, that he was gonna feed them manna from heaven, and this is how they were gonna be nourished, this is how he was going to provide for his people. Well, you might have never caught it in scripture, I was reminded of it, but in Numbers 11, it speaks of that after a year of them wondering, of seeing God's provision day in and day out through this heavenly manna, now the, the rules of it were as you take as much as you need for the day, and you don't store anything else up. I'll give you what you need the next day, but you don't store anything up. I I want you to know that I am your heavenly father. I am your provider. I'm gonna take care of you. And what do we pray in the Lord's prayer? Give me this day my daily bread. This is just a principle of, of our faith here. And so we see this in Numbers 11. We see their humanity come out. That what God what was once a miracle and what they once looked at as, oh my gosh, this is God providing, this is his blessing, this is a miracle that he's done this. Well, look how after a year their attitude changed. I think this is where we can find ourselves. Look at Numbers 11. It says, then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. Again, their perspective, their outlook began to change. It said, and the people of Israel also began to complain. Now, when I was reading this, I was shocked that this was thousands of years ago because I felt like this is something so um, that I would read in 2019. So they began to complain. It says, they said, oh, for some meat. Look at that exclamation. They were wailing and prevailing. It says, we remember the meat and we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And look, they even, this is very deep. This is a very detailed complaint. They just didn't leave it at the meat and fish. Then they said, and we had all the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. Who likes leeks anyways? I'm like, what the heck is a leek? Onions and garlic we wanted. You just see them complaining that here's God's provision through manna each and every day. But after a year when this was written, it shows that they began to complain and they began to, to look back to Egypt that they had meat and that they had fish and they had all these spices. And what I wanna to submit to you this morning that we have to be careful of and really going into a season of Thanksgiving is what was once a miracle in God's provision in your life because of time and because of routine and because of the mundane, has the miracle in your life become mundane now? That's what has happened here. What was once a blessing and provision and a miracle now was mundane because it didn't taste good. They lost their perspective. They lost their outlook. And I pray we never allow that to happen to us. That's why the Bible says his mercies are fresh and new every single morning. That there, when we wake up, we should thank God that there is forgiveness available to us. Do we forget that we have the miracle of perpetual forgiveness when we wake up we say, Father, I thank you for my for, for forgiveness of my sin. That's a miracle we live in, in a state of reality. We live in, in the kingdom of God. So I want you to see this video. It's about six minutes. And it speaks of when you go through a tough time, that don't lose sight that you're not abandoned, but that God is working through the middle of it to make you stronger, to prepare you to do a work in you. Check this out. Mine's my dad. Yes, I can. Since mom died, it's only been us. He has a way of filling my life with color. Dad! Which one? That one. 
Sometimes I don't understand his advice, but I trust him. And what always brought us together was our love for running. One day, I'll be faster than him. And when I am, I'm gonna win every marathon in the world. Abby? What's wrong, champ? Or at least that was my plan. I'm losing my sight. And real quick, read to me the lowest level that you can see on there. What is called is interocular melanoma. Eye cancer. Unfortunately, you will lose your vision. That was the day my father disappeared. Dad! Winky wakey. Ready to run, champ? Come on. I thought he would always be there for me. I guess I was wrong. Dad, where are you? You abandoned me. Where are you, Dad? Where did you go? Do you not love me anymore? Am I still beautiful? Are you no longer proud of me? How could you leave me when I need you the most? Dad? Dad? Dad, why did you leave me? Abby thinks I've left her. And as much as it pains me to hear that, she's right. I've left her. The best that we can do is can save the things? actual eyes so that cosmetically she doesn't lose them. That's my girl. I understand. That's my girl. That's my little girl. There's support groups, and I know this is a very difficult time. No! I've left her to realize she's more courageous than she ever imagined. I've left her to discover how beautiful she is from the inside out. I've left her to challenge herself in ways she never considered. I've left her to discover how strong she really is. Baby. Why did you leave me? I was right here. I was always here. Where did you go? I was always here, baby. Listen, no one believes in you more than I do. You know that.
think about how far you've come. My dad says he gave me what I needed, not what I wanted. You ready? Yep. Folks, what we are seeing here is amazing. This is a testament of true love. Love is allowing someone to see their true worth and beauty. I used to think my dreams were over. I thought I'd never run again. And even though I can't see my dad, I know he's guiding me the entire way. In the moments in the ordinary day. Did you catch that truth? I want to invite our worship team up, and I actually want you guys to do the goodness of God. I want to do that right now. And while we're in this moment of worship, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to wherever your gaze has been broken, where it needs to come back to a place of being fixed on Christ in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your season, because he's never left you. He's, as you saw the father that she couldn't see it, but he was right there with her and going before her and coming after her, protecting her. And that's what God is doing for you and I. You know, I think of the song we sang, we opened up with, that it talks about the kingdom of God and how you and I are in the kingdom of God. Now, kingdom means the king's domain. In Romans 14, 17, where this song, a portion comes from, is, it says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, saying, don't let it be your focus of what am I gonna eat every day, what am I gonna drink? But it says, let it be of this. It says, let it be of righteousness, of peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, as you press that out, you would see that righteousness came first because there is a powerful truth that when you fix your gaze on the righteousness of Jesus, that what's gonna come out of that is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so as we're singing this song, as we're thanking God for his goodness, that we have a father, I want you to picture yourself, and you just close your eyes right now. I want you to picture your gaze getting off of the trial, getting off of whatever you're walking through. I want you to begin to see your gaze fixed on the righteousness of God. And as it's fixed on his righteousness, his love, his acceptance, his purpose, his vision, that he's proud of you, he's with you, he cares for you. As you fix on that, what's gonna be pressed out of that is a peace that no situation can take because it's the peace that comes in the kingdom of God. And it's a joy that's produced by the Holy Spirit. Father, right now we look to you and we choose to fix our gaze. Whisper it to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, I fix my gaze on you right now. I put my perspective, change my perspective that maybe everything I'm looking at, it all isn't there. Give me the full picture. Bring me into reality so that I can let you heal the parts in me that I've pushed down and pushed away. As we focus on the goodness of God right now, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're gonna deposit identity, you're gonna deposit, deposit purpose, truth, instruction into our lives. We love you, Lord, we worship you. 
you would stand to your feet. Let's just sing this over our situation this morning.